I, I need that in an alarm clock, don't you? Wouldn't that be a great way to wake every day? Oh, my word. That, that video is just full of energy and joy, much like this day a couple thousand years ago as Jesus came riding into Jerusalem and people waved palm branches. You came in and on your seat, you have a palm cross. Somebody suggested today we should have been handing out evergreens and not palms, but anyway, go with the snow theme. Don't worry, it will go away, I promise. But, but we come today to celebrate the beginning of a week, a week of Christ's suffering, his passion, his death, quiet in the tomb, and then his rising to newness of life. We come to celebrate Jesus. Would you stand with us as we sing? It's been a couple thousand years that we come together on a Sunday to be reminded that a group of people walked up to a grave a grave where they expected to find a body. But all they saw were angels. Angels who said, what are you looking for? He told you. He told you he was going to leave. He told you he was going to rise again. He told you. And he did. And today we get to sing the name of Jesus and praise the name of Jesus and live in the power of the name of Jesus. We come today to celebrate you we come today to honor and to worship you and to love you, knowing how much you have loved us. Thank you, Jesus, for going through everything you did, especially as we, as we walk into this holy week and we know the suffering, the pain of your passion, the physical as well as the spiritual pain that you endured because of my sin, because of our sin, because of the sin of the whole world. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to obey the Father and to show us such tremendous love. We pray all of this in your sweet name. Amen. You can have a seat. So uh, our servers are coming here a little early to receive the offering. And um, as they do, we thought that it would be good for you to uh, hear a little bit more about Green Lake. The best way to hear about Green Lake and the student trip that's coming up is to see Green Lake. So uh, I hope you're ready for some energy. Here we go. Woohoo! So stinking awesome. Yes, 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 yes. I am so excited for another year of Green Lake. Again, whenever I watch these videos, like you forget so many little pieces of these trips that we come home like, and can't stop talking about for the next month. I mean, I remember uh, all those. It, it looks like I just spend my entire time antagonizing kids and like, <laughs> making sure that they get dirty and looking like they work and then getting frosting and then acting like a weirdo and screaming. And I mean, that, that pretty much is me the entire week uh, because by about Tuesday night, I'm completely exhausted and the rest of the week, I'm just walking around in a trance. Uh, but no, it, it's going to be an incredible trip. 
And I know with, with Easter set so far back this year, we kind of have uh, gotten a little comfortable with, oh, yeah, Green Lake, it'll, it'll come. Registration, I can put that off. It's here. Like, the deadline is approaching two weeks away. Uh, we are two weeks away from the Green Lake deadline. So if you have any questions about that trip, I would love to answer them for you. I'm sure all of our other adult leaders... Uh, who you saw in those videos would love to answer them for you too uh, because this is just a, it's such a cool event where we're able to build into these kids' lives not only by uh, having fun and, and working hard but working alongside them uh, and, and teaching them in small groups and, and things like that. So again, if you haven't signed up yet, please do. We want you to come with us. Invite a friend, invite a cousin who might be done with school for the summer, whoever. We're in, we want everybody to come with us. So that's coming in two weeks. The reason that we go to Green Lake, the reason that we get to do everything that we do for that weekend is because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that we're going to be uh, recognizing this weekend. That starts... Um, with the message of Palm Sunday. And so we're going to read from John chapter 12 uh, to start the morning here. The next day, the large crowd that had come to feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that, they had done, that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Palm Sunday is epic. It's huge. I mean, in Christianity, it is, it is a monstrously huge day. In the history of the world, it's an incredibly important day. But, you know, we, we read the words of the page and we go, okay, Jesus, he, he came into town on a path, palm, palm branches on the ground, riding on a donkey. How neat, how wonderful. You got to understand, this day, this day was so meaningful to the people that were gathered there. They have waited quite literally all of their lives for the coming of a Messiah. Ever since Jesus, God spoke the words in Genesis 3.15 that someone would come and take his heel and put it on the head of a serpent and crush that serpent. Ever since that day, the people of God had been longing for a spiritual Messiah. They could not wait for the coming of a Messiah. But, but just like us, they took a spiritual message and they turned it into a very physical message. They took it into one that applied to them in the moment in which they lived. They lived in a time of great oppression. The Roman Empire was just absolutely oppressive, monstrously oppressive. And they were not just looking for a spiritual Messiah, but they were looking for a physical leader who would come, pull out his sword, and just get rid of Roman oppression once and for all. And so when Jesus came and he started fulfilling many of the signs that, that a Messiah would fulfill, 
lame walking, blind seeing, people rising up from the grave, when they saw that, they said, this is the one, this is the Messiah. And so it is no surprise that as he approaches Jerusalem, they see him coming. He's just brought Lazarus back from the dead days before. They see him coming and they start cutting the palm branches down and laying them in the streets just like they would for a conquering hero. They're ready to welcome a king. And Jesus comes riding in, and we, you know, we've talked about this before. He doesn't find the most gallant steed that he can find. No, no, he finds a donkey. And here he is trotting in, trotting into town over the palm branches. And it was his way of sending a message. I've not come. I've not come to conquer. I've come in peace. I'm a peaceful warrior. I have come here to conquer the minds and hearts and souls of human beings. So the passage Brian read gives us the details of the day, but it also gives us some of the undercurrent. It also gives us some of the ideas that we would not know otherwise. Like, for example, the disciples had no idea what was going on. They just thought, party time. We're going to be governors. He's king. We're governors. We're going to rule. This is going to be fantastic. And it's only after Jesus is gone that they go, oh, the palms. Now I get it. Now I understand. We, we see that there are people there because they had seen Lazarus risen from the dead. And they're now going to follow Jesus. We also see there are people there going, I just want to see a miracle. They bought a ticket. You know, they, they just want to see another great event, another party, something else happen. I was there when it happened. And then, of course, we have the religious leaders. The religious leaders who are watching their temple attendance diminish as Jesus' church starts to fill. And they're going, we got a problem. We got a problem. He's pulling people away from us. We've got to do something about this. That's the undercurrent at play on this awesome day. Now, you look at the day, I don't know, I've looked at this day for many, many years. I look at the day, and for me, it's a little bit of a confusing day. Because you see, it's not, it's not five years later, and it's not five months later. It's five days later that the crowd who's standing there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is saying, crucify him, crucify him. Just a handful of days later. It's a handful of days later that, that some of his followers who said, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I'm right here with you. I promise. Some of his followers said, I'm gone. I'm not part of this. I mean, think about it for a moment. Sitting at that last supper, the night before Jesus dies, sitting at that last supper, we have Peter and we have John. Peter, of course, is saying, Lord, you say you're going to die, I will be your best defender. I know how to use a sword, and I'm not afraid to use it. Boom, there goes an ear. You know, hey, he's, he, he's willing to be a warrior for Jesus. And Jesus says, you will not defend me, you will deny me. In fact, you won't, you're not going to just kind of slip and deny me. You're going to do it enough times that you know it was a denial. Three times you'll say, I don't know the guy, I have nothing to do with him. Judas, of course, all it took was 30 pieces of silver, and he was willing to place a kiss on the cheek of the Savior. Say, he's the one, and betray him. It's only John... It's only John, the, the, the only male follower of Jesus, it's only John, 
that is sitting at the foot of the cross as Jesus gasped his final breath. It's only John that has the privilege of seeing the eyes of Jesus look down to him and say, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. It's only John. And see, I, I, I look at this story and I think about this story and if I place myself in the story, I wonder, who would I be? Would I be part of the crowd just looking for a miracle that a few days later says, hey, forget a miracle, let's nail him to a cross? Would I be the follower who says, wouldn't mind some extra silver in my IRA? Would I be the follower who intends to defend him until the pressure's on and then I go, <laughs> well, I got to say, I won't be any good for Jesus dead, so I'll save my skin for the moment. Would it be John? Would I, would I be that sole male standing at the foot of the cross with the women saying, I'm here for you, Lord? I, I think as we move into this week, we have to ask ourselves that question. We, we've been looking at a passage during communion for weeks now. If any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus says, you must, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross. In fact, some passages say you must take up your cross daily and you must follow me. If you want to gain your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to lose your life, you're going to gain it. He says, what does it profit you? What benefit is there? If you gain the whole world but lose your own soul, is anything worth more than your soul? You see, I think we have to ask ourselves a question. We have to ask ourselves that question that Jesus asked. He said, do you want to be my follower? Do you want to be my follower? Not just a fan. Not just somebody who shows up because something good might happen. Not just someone who uses Jesus like a lucky rabbit's foot. Maybe I'll get good stuff from him. But do I want to be a follower the way Jesus has defined follower? And I got to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous about it these days. I'm a little bit nervous, not just about where America is. I'm nervous about where the American church is. I'm worried about where this thing is that we call evangelicalism. I'm starting to wonder if we'd take the 30 pieces of silver. I'm starting to wonder if we'd say, oh, this is getting too tense. I'll deny for now and own up later. I'm starting to wonder. I had, a, I had a, just something kind of hit me in the face this week. It was, it was brutal. My birthday. <laughs> so my birthday comes, and uh, I've, been, I've been kind of away from Facebook for a little bit. I'm just determining this thing is not good for my soul. But on my birthday, I got to go say thank you to all the people who say happy birthday. So I go on. And of course, when I go on, I got to peek around. And I peek, at, I peek at a post of a friend, an acquaintance. And the friend says, I've been going to an evangelical church for over a decade. I love the church. I love what's going on. Been part of a Bible study. I'm learning more about what it means to study the Bible, interpret the Bible, and understand the Bible. And I've come to the conclusion that all the secularist ideas, these are not her words, I'm saying them, all the secularist ideas about sexuality that are going on in our world today, the Bible defends them wholeheartedly. And I'm going, you know, it's one thing to buy into what the world says. It's another thing to slap a Bible verse on it. 
It's one thing to buy into what the world says. It's another thing to say, and Jesus says yes too. And I'm just scratching my head and I'm going, where are we going? Where are we going that we're willing to just take the Bible and say, nice book. I love it in leather. It's beautiful. It smells nice. But the words inside kind of bug me because they don't match the way I want to live and they don't match the kind of world I want. We have to come back to the question of Jesus. Do you want to be my follower or not? And so before, before we fill the room next week with our friends who need Jesus, I think it's time for us to ask, do we have Jesus? Do we have him ourselves? And there's this verse in the Bible that just kind of really bugs me. You'll see why. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey your spiritual leaders, submit to their authority. Let's go past that to the next line. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Being a pastor isn't a career choice. You don't go to career day and go, Ooh, I think I'd like to be a pastor. In fact, if you think that, man, you know, go be an accountant, do something. But anyway, <clears throat> it's not a career choice, it's a calling. And he says, Someday you get to stand in front of me, Jesus says. Someday you get to stand in front of me and you get to talk about what you did with the souls who were sitting in the seats. And man, I'll tell you, it makes me tense that we will get to heaven 100 years from now, we will all be there. We'll be in eternity. And we're going to get to heaven, we're going to start asking around for certain people. And we're going to find out they're not there. Because they were fans, but they were not followers. They filled the seat, but Jesus didn't fill their hearts. That just makes me sick. We are either all in with him or we might as well go do something else a Sunday morning. So I want to look at the words of the guy who hung with Jesus to the very end. John, the disciple Jesus loved. He has this beautiful verse. It's in 1 John 5.13. A lot of you know it. It says, these things are written so that you can know that you have eternal life. You can know it. And a lot of us, we love that verse. We base, we base what we call our eternal security on that verse. I can know I have eternal life. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to count up, hope my good things outweigh my bad things. I can know here and now that I have eternal life. I can know it. I love that verse. But then what happens, I, I look at the first part, it says, these things are written so that you can know. What things are written? Well, the letter, the five chapters. And as I start reading the five chapters, I, I honestly start to go, for me, I'm not kidding, I start to go, am I a Christian? Because, because I tell you what, what's written in the book is intense. And, and I really, I, I, I'm taking a little different approach than my first plan because it ended up being about an hour and a half. But... Um, I was going to just sit and read the whole book and go through and say, how we doing here? How we doing here? How we doing here? How we doing here? I got to watch a sermon by Blake Hersberger this week. Kind of, he's, he's you know, learning how to be a pastor. He did this sermon, and I'm, and I'm looking at it. Believe it or not, watching his sermon, I went, yeah, I got I to, I we need a point. Boom. We need to bring this down. 
These things are written so you can know that you have eternal life. What things are written? The question we're asking ourselves today on this Palm Sunday is, am I a follower of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? John starts this letter, and I love the way he starts it. John is so, he's eloquent. He's, he's, not, he's not just, you know, a brutal fisherman like Peter. Boom, 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 just facts. John, John likes to put some flour and pizzazz into it, okay? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and we actually touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. It was made known to us. And we've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. Why do we do this? So you can have fellowship with us like we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. He says, I am writing these things so that our joy, and by our, he's not just saying himself, so that our joy, so that our collective joy may be complete. He starts out by saying, I was there he, the day he said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of that. I was there the day that he took bread and broke it. And there was so much bread we didn't know what to do with it. We had to go find extra baskets. I was there the day that he said, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, there he was. I was there the day we put the palms in the street. And I was there standing at the foot of the cross with his mother when he died. And I was there and I saw an empty grave. And he is alive. And I'm here to tell you about it. He wants to bring a next generation of believers into the fold. That's the John that speaks to us today. What does he say to us? Well, in John 2, 15 to 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, John is not, John's not an equivocator. He doesn't do kind of a, well, you know, you can be in, but, you know, it's okay if you do this or slip here or whatever, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the things we see that we want, that pride of life that stand against God is not from the Father, but it's from the world the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Followers. Followers don't long for the world. Followers don't long for the world. Followers want something better. Followers are thrilled about eternal life. This life, that's nice, but followers long for eternal life. Followers don't long to be like the world. Followers don't take secularist thinking and secularist habits and all that junk and throw a Bible verse on it and say, now it's spiritual. Followers know that we're different. Followers don't do what the world does. Now he defines a little bit. In the, in the beginning of the book, he says this is a message 
that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So he heard this from Jesus. He wants us to hear this. God is light. In him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. He says you can't have both ways. You don't get to live like the world. You don't get to live in the world. You don't get to do that and claim to be in the light. You are either in the darkness or you're in the light. You're not, you're not, you're not in the dusk. Darkness or light. World or follower of Jesus. But you don't get to do both. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So you don't get to have it both ways. Now, I, I do need to just throw in one piece here. You know, when we hear the world, sometimes we think, the Bible will refer to world as the people. God so loved the world. And so we may think, wait a second, I thought we're supposed to love the world. We're supposed to love people. But we're not supposed to be in love with the world system. We're not supposed to be trying to adopt the world system all the time and the world's way of thinking and the world's ideals. We're supposed to be looking at what Jesus says and following after him with all of our hearts. So it's one thing to say, well, of course I'm a Christian. When I was eight years old, I prayed by my bedside. Jesus, come into my heart. I know I'm a Christian. John says, nice prayer. But followers don't long for the world. They just don't. What else does he say to us? This passage is a little longer. I love, again, the way John writes, because he says the same thing multiple times, and by the time you're done, if you don't get it, you know, it's like a baseball bat to the head. But velvet and beautiful. Everyone who makes a practice of singing also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or has known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous because he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from day one. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. God's seed abides in us. Sin can't abide in us when God's seed abides in us. He cannot keep on sinning because he is born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What is John saying? Followers, followers don't look like the world. Followers don't look like the world. It's not only that we don't long for the world, but we don't look like the world. We don't do it the world's way. We do it a different way. And I think this is, what, this is what's bothering me a little bit these days. I look at the evangelical church and it's like we're trying to figure out how to do it the world's way with the Bible verse slapped on it. How do, how, do, how do we embrace all that's going on in the world but still sing a hymn 
and look spiritual. Instead of realizing that followers don't look like the world. Now, he keeps saying they don't, they don't continue sinning. They don't practice sinning. And all of us that have accepted Christ know that we've sinned at least once. In fact, we probably do it daily. So we're like, okay, is this saying that only if, if I'm perfect, then I'm going to heaven? And if I'm not perfect, then I'm not because the room is doomed if that's the case. No, what he's saying is that because the Spirit abides in us, because, because, because we have this seed from the Father within us, there will be a conflict when it comes to sin. We'll find ourselves conflicted over it. We won't just, we won't just dive in. We will find ourselves, we will find the Spirit actually contending with us. We may be caught up in some pretty deep sin, and the Spirit will contend with us and convict us and will say, this has got to stop. We'll stop adopting, adopting the way of the world. He says in John 2, 4 to 6, whoever says, I know him, Jesus, whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandment is a liar. This guy would have been a great pastor, huh? It'd have been a real small church, I suspect. No, 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 no candy coating here. If you keep my commandments, you know me. If you don't keep my commandments, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to the world, you're lying to God. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked. So we talk about this idea of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. More and more every day we look like Jesus. You should be able to look at your life at Southfield. We're coming to Easter again. You should be able to look back at an Easter, two Easters, three Easters, 20, however many you've been here and say, I'm not perfect, but I see progress. I'm not perfect, but I see growth. I'm not perfect, but I see the conviction of the Spirit working in me and there's change taking place. And if that's happening, I'm a follower of Jesus. But, but if I look like the world and continue to look like the world, there's a problem. He says we should walk the way Jesus walked. So I'm in Texas recently, and I'm with Nate, and I'm watching Nate walk. And I'm, just, I'm standing behind him, I'm watching him walk, and I'm like, he walks just like my father. Holy cow. It was like watching my father. And then I'm like, and I walk like my father. <laughs> You know what? We didn't have to have lessons. We didn't have to go down to Grandpa Pap in Tennessee and say, teach us how to walk like a pap. We were born that way. There it is. We have the seed of the Father within us. The Bible says you have the seed of the Father within you, so why in the world would you want to go on sinning? And there's going to be a struggling and a wrestling and a contending with the Spirit that causes you to say, I know I'm doing this and I've got to stop. It's got to change. I need a new beginning. Followers don't look like the world. Final. Short verse this time. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. Followers of Jesus aren't loved by the 
world. Followers of Jesus aren't loved by the world. And I got to say, honestly, this is one of the areas that evangelicalism is making me just absolutely nutty these days. Because we think somehow that we can speak the truth and everybody's going to go, yippee! Oh, I love the church. Isn't the church wonderful? Love the church. Now, I'm going to tell you flatly, the church has done a brutal bad job of speaking the truth through the centuries. We've been offensive in the way we've spoken. But the truth offends. I go to the doctor from time to time, and you know what my, one, of my fav- one of my doctor's favorite things to say to me is, Dennis, you need to lose some weight. <laughs> to which I look at him and say, yeah, and you need to learn to be more kind. You're a jerk. <laughs> and you're bald. <laughs> well, I have hair. Truth hurts. We have the truth. And to not speak the truth is to not love people. To withhold the truth is to not love people. It is not loving to not speak the truth. But we all know there are ways of speaking the truth that is not loving. To which Jesus so clearly says, and his, and his followers say, speak the truth in love. How do we speak the truth in love? I think it begins by asking ourselves the question, why are we speaking the truth in the first place? Because some of us love to use the truth as a baseball bat to hurt people we don't like. You see, I, would, I should want to speak the truth to you because I can't bear the idea of you not in heaven with me. I want to speak to the truth to you because I can't bear the idea of you not enjoying the fullness of the life God intends for you by living out the truth. I speak the truth to you because I love you. I'm not saying this today because I'm a, I'm a grumpy, frustrated 56-year-old. I'm speaking the truth today because it breaks my heart to think that I could be in eternity with Jesus and you may not be there. Because you were a fan, but you weren't a follower. Because you were really in love with the world and longing for it. Because you looked a lot like the world and you wanted so much to be loved by the world that you did every contortion you had to do in order to make sure people just kept smiling. I promise you this. The darker the darker darkness gets... And more secular this country becomes, the more hated we will be. And it is your greatest longing to not be hated. You're not going to like being in the American church pretty soon. Followers don't long for the world. Followers don't look like the world. Followers aren't loved by the world. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. How do we know we have eternal life? Do I long for the world? Do I look like the world? Do I need to be loved by the world? I shouldn't claim that I prayed a prayer when I was eight and I'm in. It says, by your fruit you shall know them. 
And I think he's not saying look around and see everybody else's fruit. He's saying you better inspect your own tree. Take a good look at your tree and see what's there. We have this tagline we use around here. Southfield is simply life-changing. Yeah, great music. Neat place. Got a gym. Woo! So what? If lives aren't being changed, we're wasting our time. That's our calling. Making disciples, that's our calling. That's, that's, that's all it's about. Pretty soon, these, these, these guys and ladies are going to be appearing these butterflies. Metamorphosis. I, I, I'm not enough of a scientist to understand this. I've read a lot of articles, and I still don't get it. How does a worm fly? How does a worm go into a shell, become a complete pile of goo, eat itself, and come out looking like that? I'd be a great science teacher, wouldn't I? <laughs> How does this happen? Metamorphosis. I was a worm and now I fly. I used to, I used to eat leaves and now I collect pollen. My diet has even changed. Metamorphosis is based in this Greek word, uh, metanoia. This is your lunch word for the day. Okay? You can use this and look brilliant. Meta, the prefix change. Noia, mind. Here's your noia. But you know what? For the Greek and Hebrew, here's your noia and here's your noia. Okay? Because it wasn't just about the gray stuff in your head, it's you. Your brain, your heart, your soul, your life, everything about you. You know what he says? Metanoia means you will completely change. Worm becomes butterfly. You will completely change. That word metanoia, we translate it repent. I used to think this way and now I think this way. I used to live this way and now I live this way. I used to be loved by the world and guess what? I'm not loved by the world so much anymore. I used to long for the world, and now I love when the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I used to look like the world, and now everybody thinks I'm weird, and that's a good thing. I used to be loved by the world, but now I speak the truth, and the truth hurts. It is not enough. To pray a little prayer. And I'm not minimizing prayer. We've got to talk to God in order to come to him. But honestly, if it was all about just saying some words, we should go to the mall right now, print it on a card, and say, just read this. It's about a sincerity of heart that says, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not just looking for fire insurance. A lot of us, we became Christians because we were told about hell and said, I want to go there. I want to go to heaven. They're going to be candy. I want to go to heaven. There are going to be good things there. And he's saying, yeah, beautiful, but the issue is being a follower of Jesus. So, you received one of these today. Why don't you take it in your hand? Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, don't, don't you think it's ironic 
that he didn't just speak this to a gathered crowd. He spoke to this to the people who already claimed to be his followers. Jesus said to his disciples, now that you're in church, now that you're part of the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross. You must follow me. If you, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you keep longing for the world, you're going to lose it. Keep trying to look like the world, you're going to lose it. Try Keep trying to be loved by the world, you're going to lose it. But if you give all that up for my sake, you're going to save your life. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Today is the day that we need to ask ourselves, do I want to be a follower of Jesus or not? We've heard this passage for weeks. Do I want to be a follower of Jesus or not? He asked this of people who already assumed they were followers. He said, no, I'm serious. Do you want to be my follower or not? And so as we move into this week of viewing the passion of Jesus, the question comes again, would I be standing at the foot of the cross? Or would I be standing in a courtyard saying, I don't know him? Would I be standing at the foot of the cross? Or would I be accepting a bag of silver? Would I be standing at the foot of the cross? Or would I be in a crowd screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him? Jesus calls on us to take up the cross every day here in America in 2019. And that's what it looks like to take up the cross. So we're going to move toward communion right now. You have the two tables on the side and the two in the back. You have the trays on the corner of the stage that are gluten-free. And I want you to think about the walk to the cross, much like the walk that Jesus will take this week to his own crucifixion. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to follow him in such a way that you say, I give up my own way? Are you all in with Jesus or are you just a fan? He's asking us today. No silence, music, and it's going to begin. Let's go to communion. Let me just say that if the message you walk away with this morning is, <clears throat> I guess I just need to try harder. I hate to say it, but you kind of missed the point. This isn't about making more effort to not want the world or to not look like the world or to be despised by the world. This is about saying, Jesus, I want to follow you and mean it.
working on these things doesn't make you a Christian. Being a follower of Jesus makes you a Christian, and this is what a follower looks like. And so even today, you may want this, but you don't yet have this. You've been trying, you've been churching, you've been, you know, you got your list of things you've been doing that you think are going to just tip that scale enough to send you to heaven. And Jesus is saying, until you trust in me as your forgiver and leader, until you're willing to let me lead your life, until you're willing to say, I follow you, it's not there. It's not about trying harder. It's about following Jesus. And so today, before, before you bring your friend next week to hear about Jesus, we need to ask ourselves again, do I even know him? Have I asked him to be my forgiver and leader? Have I in sincerity turned to him and said, I realize that I sin, I have sinned, there's nothing I can do to take away that sin myself, your death paid for that sin, I trust in you as the payment for my sin. And in return, I'm your follower. I follow you, Jesus. And so I offer you that opportunity one more time right now. Go ahead and just look at the floor, close your eyes, do what you need to. But I don't want you to leave here today without knowing that you have eternal life. You've heard it. Are you ready to be a follower of Jesus? If you're ready, let him know. Jesus, I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I live a life that looks like the world, that loves the world, that's adored by the world. I choose you. Forgive me. I want to follow you. Completely. Someday, I will stand before Jesus. And he and I will talk about April 14th, 2019. And I will say, Jesus, I as clearly as I possibly could told the people gathered there today, that day, what it looks like to be a follower. They were given the invitation. And if they're not here, it is by their choice. Please, please, don't be so foolish as to think you can wait. Please don't be so foolish as to think that the world offers something better than Jesus. Believe in him, trust in him, follow him, love him.
Jesus, as we walk into this week, keep before our minds and our hearts this question, am I a follower of Jesus? Don't let the week end before we can affirm, I am a devoted follower of Jesus. Amen. And so as the week progresses, we'll come to Friday night, 7 o'clock, we'll gather here to reflect on the cross, just like John sitting at the foot of the cross. Lasts about an hour, we partake in communion. Silent Saturday, two times, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. You can just come here in the room and be quiet in the presence of Jesus, sitting in vigil beside his grave, waiting for Sunday when he'll rise again. Next Sunday, 9 and 10.30, don't waste the opportunity. Bring a friend. Let them find out that they can be a follower of Jesus as well. Enjoy your week. We'll see you.